Ever have a conversation with your girlfriend that was so good you wish it had been recorded? Think those conversations would be great to be able to share? Wondering if there's support or research for the recommendations your smart girlfriends give about mental, spiritual, and physical health? This podcast was born to answer those kinds of questions. Hello, I'm Sherry Coleman-Collins, registered dietitian nutritionist, and here with me in the studio is my girlfriend, Dee Wilson. We're excited to have you joining us for this edition of the Southern Fried Girlfriends podcast. Dee, how are you today? I'm doing great, Sherry. How are you? Oh, I'm so good. I'm so good. I feel like um, this past week was like two weeks long. <laughs> is that a good thing or bad thing? Uh, two it, weeks long, you got more done. Two I think, weeks long, it was never ending. Yeah, what? it was like, the, like B. It was the never ending week. It just felt like I had so much going on. I think it's because, um, you know, we're recording this mid-July and um, – you know, the summer's just whizzed by mm. and school is about to start. And so, yeah. oh my goodness. Yeah. In and like two weeks. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> and we have a bunch of travel still to do this summer. And so with the travel that I have coming up and school starting soon and my little guy starting kindergarten. <laughs> <laughs> so my heart is just like, oh, so full and feeling, I'm feeling like the anxiety of big change coming and I, I'm excited for him, but I'm also like, you know, I'm like the, I like the typical mom who's sending her only <laughs> child off to kindergarten for the first time, right? That is hilarious <laughs> because my son, it's my youngest son. So our last child is starting <gasps> his senior year in high school. So oh, I'm kind of on the other end yeah. of that. And I'm like, yay! <laughs> so funny. You're so funny because, but, but how did you feel the first, like with the first kid when he went to, when like when he was a senior? Oh, I had to start therapy. Yeah. <laughs> Literally, yeah, I did. I had to go back yeah. into therapy because yeah. I was having a very hard time, oh and my. which was funny to me that I would have such a hard time with the first one. Yeah, and why? That's like a big change, first time. I don't know, because yeah. I was just like, oh, you know, and especially because my first child was like so independent. Yeah. So I already knew that you know he was going to be going off on his own. Yeah. And, He's always been that way. So I was like excited for him. But then it was like, oh, my gosh. Like It was the realization that my life was going to shift. Yeah. You know, instead of being so focused on my children and what needed to happen with my children, it was starting to shift back to me. Yeah. You know? And yeah. so I had a very difficult time with it. Oh, wow. This time, though, I'm like, woo, <laughs> party. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, you know, that's funny because hearing you talk about that is like feeling like a little permission to go back to therapy for myself. I hadn't really thought about it, but, you know, maybe I need to think oh, about it. We'll see how I do. We'll see nuts. how I do. Yeah. And it basically, it was because my son Joshua was like, you're being nuts. Yeah. And I was like, huh. Maybe I need to talk to That's somebody about so that. That's so funny. I love that your son felt like he had the permission to tell you you were being nuts. <laughs> That's just the kind of relationship we oh, have. <laughs> I love that. I hope that Gavin and I have that kind of relationship. I, I want think him you to, do. Yeah, I think we do right now, but mm -hmm. he's five, so he's sort of filterless at this point. But, but that's where it starts. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we have a great relationship. I hope it's always that way. We'll see. I'm, I'm anticipating some changes and some challenges because that's just life. And I right. think every parent has that at some point with their kid. But anyway, I'm excited about the changes, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm approaching it with no small amount of stress. So if, whenever you're listening to this, if it's after August 1st, y'all send me some love because <laughs> I'm going to need it. <laughs> But today, um, I am so excited about the guest that we have joining us because um, 
she loves food and I love food and she's a dietitian and I'm a dietitian and she's a Cali girl and I sort of lived in California as a young child so I feel a little connection to California but um but I want to welcome Vanna Nasheth who is joining us today and she is a registered dietitian nutritionist a certified diabetes educator and owner of a successful private practice in Los Angeles she has over two decades of experience and specializes in intuitive eating food allergies vegetarian nutrition, diabetes, and family nutrition. And just reading Vandana's uh, bio, I felt like, oh, this is like such a reflection of all the things that I am interested in in nutrition too. And she's a spokesperson for the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics. So she's a speaker, a writer. Welcome to the show, Vandana. Thank you so much to have me. It's such a pleasure being with DNU on your show today. Awesome. Awesome. So tell her about yourself. Sure. So I was born and raised in India and um, being a dancer and I also modeled for fun, I realized that the food I ate had a huge impact on how I felt and how I performed. And that really opened up my eyes to how important food and nutrition was. I also loved science and I loved working with people, but I didn't want to be as hands-on as a physician or a nurse. And so when I found out that food and nutrition was a career, that I could be a dietitian, I could speak about food and talk about food all day long with clients and get paid <laughs> to do it, it was awesome. So I found, um, I went to school in India, I got my undergrad degree in nutritional science. And then when I came here to the United States, I realized that food was so different. Mm -hmm. So I needed to go back to school here for my second undergrad which was a wonderful experience because I learned a lot more about the culture here. I did a lot of the GE courses, which were fascinating to me. Um, I did my internship, became a dietitian, and it's been the best decision ever because I absolutely love working with my clients in a different um, capacities. I've worked in the hospital setting, in dialysis centers, in home health situations, but ultimately, it's all about helping my clients build that healthy relationship with food mm -hmm. and can truly make a difference in someone's life. Mm -hmm. uh, that's the thing that I love about food and nutrition, too, is just how impactful it is. And you described so many different settings. Mm -hmm. And I think to mm -hmm. me, like that's the that's the magic of nutrition. Right. So whether you're sick or you're well, whether you want to change your body or you want to stay where you are, nutrition is such an important component of all of our of our life in every stage and every phase. And as dietitians, Absolutely. yeah, and as dietitians, we have the chance to really impact people's lives in all of those areas. So I have a question. You, you So you got your undergrad in India, and then you got an undergrad in, in America. So how can you compare and contrast those two different educational experiences in nutrition? Sure. Um, so the key difference was in India, when you go into high school, actually, you start making decisions about your career path. After your 10th grade, you take a board exam and then your 11th and 12th grade, you already start taking classes based on your major in college that you plan to pursue. Oh, interesting. And I think they're yeah. doing more of that here in the U.S. now than they used to. But that's interesting that you were doing that even then. Right. And so at that point in my 11th grade, I started out in the science classes that was designed to go into medicine. But at the end of the 11th grade, I realized that that really while I liked the science classes, I didn't want to continue in that space. I found that there was a nutrition 
pathway. And so that's why I switched halfway through my 11th or towards the tail end of my 11th grade, I switched to nutrition. And so I did nutrition and dietetics even as a senior in high school. Ah. And when you go to college in India, the undergrad degree is just three years. You mainly focus on your core classes, your major um, prereqs and classes like that. Uh You don't really take too many GEs, maybe just one or two. Uh So it was very focused. And so you're done with your undergrad degree in three years. And then if you're planning to pursue that career, you often go in for your master's. So I was halfway through my master's when I fell in love with my husband. (laughs) And so I came here as a fiance and we had a big Indian wedding. Oh, fun. L.A. So he was living here? Yes, he was born and raised here. He was an American of Indian origin, but American. And we fell in love in India and... It was love at first sight. Oh, I love that. It's beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was one of those magical stories. And we still look back and think there's definitely a higher power up there that guided us to this position in our lives that we have. Oh, I love that. And I, and I, um, Vandana and I are connected on Facebook and I see like the sweet post. You have like the sweetest um, cheerleader of a husband. It seems like he's (laughs) always posting things about how proud he is of you and encouraging things. And I love that. So sweet. I think, you know, really family is the core of everything I do. It's, it's my cornerstone. It's my guiding stone. My parents raised me that way. I had that support, and I hope to have that same thing for my two boys. And your boys are grown, right? Yes, and I was listening to your intro, and I heard <laughs> Sherry. I totally remember crying. And if, you, if I look back at the video of my first one going off to, co- to his kindergarten, literally the camera is shaking as I was filming him going off. So I remember that so vividly. Oh, and, Gee, your son being a senior in high school, I remember that too. And I had the same kind of roller coaster, excited, <laughs> but also, you know, sad and oh. nostalgic. And my sons, I have one who is going to be a junior in college and one who has already been taking college classes. The baby took an alternative path. And so he's already been taking college classes for a couple of years. Oh, my goodness. So he's still in high school? Um, he technically would have just graduated high okay. school, but he graduated a couple of years early. So okay. he's working part time, going uh-huh. to the community college. And okay. yeah, both are at a very different stage, young men. Oh my gosh. It's, you know, it's so funny because I think as a mom, you know, there's so many things I didn't expect that are beautiful surprises. And one of the things that I feel like is this beautiful surprise is my my son's only five, but even now I can look at him and every once in a while I get what I feel like is this foreshadowing of the man he's going to be. Mm-hmm. Like I can see the glimpses of the, because his personality is so developed, you know, he's mm-hmm. so, he's very strong willed. He's got very specific interests. He's very persistent. He's a lot like his dad. He's just, and I see this man that's in this child that's coming out and it's, it's exciting and beautiful. And I think it makes the transition to seeing him growing older easier because I can see that he's going to be such a wonderful man. It also kind of makes it easier that as they get older, you can also see the glimpses of the baby and the boy, you know, yes, yes, (laughs) for sure. 
Because you'll look at them and they're shaving or, you know, something very manly, but you can still see like this little curve that, oh, that's been there since he was a baby, Uh you know, and sometimes in the way that my boys laugh, I still remember them as like five-year-olds and two-year-olds, so... You don't lose any of it. <laughs> no, no, it's really beautiful. As they grow older, your relationship just is enhanced. The conversations you have is just, it's at a different level. But yeah. you do see the little boys that you gave birth to. You see oh. the little babies in different things, oh. different gestures that they do. Oh, I love that. Well, thank you for sharing that with me, ladies, because it makes it a little easier. <laughs> so going back to some of your experiences and the areas of um, practice that you have focused on, one of the things that you talked about and that I read in your bio is just about intuitive eating and helping people um, enjoy food and um, in a healthy way and have a healthy relationship with food in their bodies. Can you talk a little bit bit more about your experience in that area and your practice and sort of how that's maybe changed and grown? Because I think that we've seen a lot of changes, you know, as if you think about like in the last couple of decades or three decades of um, attitudes around food and nutrition. And um, I think we've seen a shift from a lot of restrictive practices to we're moving toward a more a less restrictive practice when it comes to health and wellness and weight but I think we're a long way away from it but I think I'd be interested in hearing your thoughts on that what do you think yeah no I'd be happy to share um so again it goes back to my childhood in India because food was um such a big part of the culture and it was not just for nourishment but you enjoyed a social component to it it was not something you just took that's portable that you walked around eating in your car or wherever food Mm -hmm. was um, something you experienced so you sat around a table with your parents or with your friends and you really had conversations it was a much more mindful eating experience so that was how I was raised and then when I came here I found the shift to be quite drastic in terms of how We really didn't take a lot of time sitting down and eating here. Life was pretty hectic and busy. Um, We tried to have family meals, but even with kids going to different activities, it was very hard to find those windows of time. Mm -hmm. I found that personally it was much more challenging. So even if it was 10 minutes or 15 minutes, if we could just have time to slow down and savor the food, Mm -hmm. it just was so much, you know, it was a much better experience for everyone. And I used that in my practice as well. And I started working with my clients and helping them really slow down and savor food. Mm-hmm. And I had talked to Evelyn Triboli in the early 90s when she had published her book, the first one on the intuitive eating program. Mm-hmm. And it was very revolutionary then. And it's now been accepted and embraced by many dietitians. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a wonderful program. It guides people through the different 10 steps of intuitive eating. Um, Not everyone is struggling with all steps, but definitely there are some steps that most of us struggle with. So helping with identifying hunger and fullness, helping with paying attention to your body cues, paying attention to the diet culture, the mentality that we are often bombarded with in our media, whether Mm -hmm. it's social media, in our magazines, you don't even you know think about it, but there are these perceptions of what an ideal looking body should mm-hmm. be like. And 
that can be devastating for someone who's culturally not going to fit those stereotypes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I just found that fascinating. So I've started using many more of those principles. I've gone through her training programs and supervision, and I've adapted a combination of what I grew up with from my culture and her program. And I use that for my clients. Mm-hmm. And it's been amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the exercises I do with my clients, we go through an actual mindful eating experience. So I have them bring a food that they feel they overindulge in or feel that they're worried about eating or it's a trigger food and it's part of their appointment. Mm -hmm. They bring it to the appointment and I help them relax. I help them focus, use all their senses and actually taste that food. And it's amazing how little you need Mm -hmm. because sometimes it's that first bite that really gives you all the joy. And if you have rushed through that first bite, you've really lost that experience. You keep trying to capture that mm. first bite experience through your second, third, and fourth. Mm-hmm. I think that's a great that's a great um, uh, description of how intuitive eating and mindfulness can be part of the way that we eat, and also evaluating our own approach to eating food. I went to I was at a training one time. At the Culinary Institute of America, that was a co was like a, an event that was done between CIA and Harvard School of Public Health, and that one of the speakers came on and she she walked us through an eating exercise like that where you take a small square of dark chocolate mm-hmm. and yes. oh I loved it it was just such a great experience and you, so you sit and close your eyes and take some breaths and then you unwrap the chocolate and then you smell the chocolate. And then you put the chocolate in your mouth, but you don't chew it or and you just put it on your tongue and hold it there for, for, you know, for, for several seconds, long enough to feel it start to melt and to begin the process of tasting the chocolate. And then slowly you chew and eat and swallow the chocolate. And it was such a great experience. And it really was one of those experiences where it wasn't like, it was such a full experience that I didn't find myself going, man, I wish there was more of that chocolate. Not that it wasn't delicious because it was, but it was so satisfying that one experience and bite and you can't do that like every time you eat chocolate and I'm not saying that would work for everybody but for me it was a really interesting experience and Dee's given me the side eye because I'm like (laughs) I'm just hearing you describe it I'm feeling the impatience to get to the next bite Uh you know Mm -hmm. Um, and as Vandana was talking you know for me gummy bears are that food that I don't buy anymore because when I open the bag, I don't stop until I get to the bottom of the bag. Um, And so just trying to think about, could I do an intuitive eating exercise with gummy bears and actually eat five instead of all 500 in the bag, you Uh know? uh Um, But then to hear you describe the chocolate, I'm like, ah, I feel impatient already. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's that's interesting. You'll be surprised, Dee. Um, I have clients who have those trigger foods. I had one client whose trigger food was French fries. And it was fascinating. When you do this with some guidance, by the time you finish that first bite, I'm not guaranteeing that you will not want the second or third. I'm just saying that you will slow down and actually give yourself the attention and time and space to taste it in all its components that you, you may realize that you actually don't need as many as you thought. Mm-hmm. I think that, that some of that is just also the, you know, what we know is that it takes some time, right, for your body to register fullness when you're mm-hmm. eating. And so just helping people slow down 
while they're eating um, and listen and pay attention to their body's cues. I think that's one of the things that's missing in our eating experiences. And it's interesting to hear you talk about how different the cultures are, you know, in India around food and in the U.S. around food. And I think that, you know, it, I, 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 while I'm definitely, you know, American and I haven't had a lot of experiences eating internationally. When I have, I've always found it to be fascinating that people can sit around a table for two hours and three hours. It's no big deal. It's, you know, you just eat slowly, you talk, you drink a little wine, you, then you do a little bit more and, you know, the food stops and then the food starts again. And it's, it's like not a big deal. Nobody's in a hurry. Nobody's, you know, shoving the food into their mouth really fast and in a hurry to get to the next thing. And um, I think that that to me is we're, we're a society that's in such a hurry all the time. And I count myself as guilty because I'm somebody who's always busy and always doing the next thing. And um, it's funny because I, I've, become more aware of it because of my son, because he, I remember recently we were doing something and I don't remember what he was, what, what we were doing exactly, but he goes, Oh, I have to hurry. I have to hurry. I have to hurry. I said, what are you doing? He goes, I'm late. I said, what are you late for? He said, I have an appointment with my blankie. Well, you know, I loved it too, but at the same time, it was a little bit convicting because why is Where he? Did he get that? Yeah, well, I don't have to <laughs> <Yeah>. wonder because <laughs> I'm always in a hurry. And I think you know, it, around food, the more we can capture those moments and um, redeem those moments that are lost to our rushing. Um, around food, the more we can enjoy those experiences. And then the more they become events like what you described, where people are truly connecting with each other. I, I know that you've experienced this, both of you, when you go somewhere, maybe out to a dinner, whether it's a nice place or a casual place, and you're sitting at a table and there are people sitting next to you. We were we were uh, out of town last weekend and we went to a little, a little restaurant. It was the three of us at a table and next to us was a man and a woman having lunch together as well. And they were both on their phone. Neither of them I mean, they might have said five words to each other and that was it. And they were both on their phone and they ate their lunch that way. I know. And I was like, wow, like talk about disconnect, right? Yeah. How can that, Vandana, how can... That's definitely sad. Yeah. And how can that, how can that distraction or distractibility in our lives, how does that affect how we eat? Well, when it comes to food, that's part of that intuitive eating process. So one of the exercises I have my clients do is actually pay attention to their food. And so I tell them to avoid screens of all kinds when they're eating. And actually, even if it's a someone eating by themselves, I ask them to really make it an experience by sitting down, set a place setting, set a nice cup of uh, water or some kind of beverage for you to drink, make it an event and really give yourself permission to enjoy the food in front of you. Mm-hmm. Just block it off. 15, 20 minutes. We can all do that. We do that for other things. So prioritize your meals. Mm-hmm. Even if it's a rushed event, just block that time off. Mm-hmm. Because when you're distracted, your brain really doesn't get that satiety. You're just rushing through it. You haven't given your hunger and fullness cues time to adjust. So you most likely will be overeating. Uh-huh. So the positive side of just taking that time alone to really focus on the food, avoid distracted eating really can be beneficial in terms of the nutrition you get and the joy you get from the food. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I completely agree. I completely agree. And I think that goes back to sort of this idea. You know, I, I, I've talked to a lot of people who say, well, I'm by myself and I don't want to cook and I don't want to prepare. I don't want to go to all the trouble of making something just for me. And I'm mm-hmm. always like, wait a minute. Like, why not? But you're special too. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You matter, right? Yeah. Especially my older clients, um, the women who have been caretakers and nurturers for families who have raised beautiful families. And they're at a point where they don't prioritize themselves. They feel like they've done everything for everyone else and they just grab something. And I tell them, it's okay. You don't have to cook from scratch, but even if you pick up something, let's make it an experience. Let's sit down. Let's set that table Mm -hmm. and enjoy that meal that you've gotten so that you take care of you because you, you matter. Yes. Don't eat it out of cardboard or styrofoam. Put it on a real Mm -hmm. plate. That's like a, for me, that's a big one. Like I really, even if I pick something up typically, I, and, and I don't do that a lot, but when I do, I still, if I, if we come home, if we've gotten a pizza for instance, or something like that, I still pull out the plates. We still eat it off a plate. We're not eating out of a cardboard Mm -hmm. box on a napkin. Not that there's anything wrong with that in certain situations, but it's a different experience. I was just thinking about, you know, when I eat my lunch at work, I put it on a plate. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm, just because yep. the way it just, I feel more satisfied. I feel like I'm actually taking some time to take care of myself yeah. by feeding myself. And even if it is just leftovers, I put it on a plate. I yeah. take it, and even if I'm eating at my desk, I still put it on a plate, take it to my desk yes. and enjoy my meal. Yeah. And it feels good. <laughs> it does feel good. It does feel like you're taking care of yourself, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. So um, one of the other things, Vandana, that I noticed in your bio is that you're a certified diabetes educator. And I know that a lot of people might not know what that is, but I know um, how important a CDE is when people are looking for someone to help with diabetes. So I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about diabetes necessarily, but can you just for the sake of the people listening, explain what a CDE is and why someone with diabetes might want to look for that credential? Sure. So um, Certified Diabetes Educator is the credential you get from the national board that certifies people who have a minimum of an undergrad and you have to have a certain number of hours. I believe it's close to 2000 hours of work with people with diabetes or prediabetes in that space. And then you take a national board exam and then we continue to maintain those units by seeing clients on a regular basis, taking advanced classes to maintain our certification. And what's interesting about the CDE qualification is that it can be a nurse, it could be someone who's a pharmacist, it could be therapists, it could be physicians, or it could be dietitians. So you come from different professional backgrounds, but if you are working in the diabetes space, the CDE credential holds a lot of value. Mm -hmm. So if you have someone with prediabetes or diabetes, Definitely look for someone, especially if you're working with food, look for someone who's a registered dietitian nutritionist, but also a CDE that tells you that they specialize in diabetes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, you know, sometimes I get questions and people who want to talk to me about diabetes or who want me to see them to help with their with their diabetes management. And I am always, <laughs> I'm always the first one to say, you know, I while I'm a registered dietitian nutritionist and I understand diabetes and I know a lot about diabetes, I'm not the best person for you to see. I would recommend that you see a CDE. And then I try to connect them with somebody who is a CDE because I, I'm a big believer in um, areas of 
expertise and in, in concentration in advanced practice. And the CDE credential really is the person who is, as far as nutrition and food goes, the best person to help you if you have diabetes, I think. And you also mentioned pre-diabetes. So if you're pre-diabetic and you're looking for a registered dietitian, the CDE credential would be something you look for. Mm -hmm. I think that can be really helpful. And Vandana, can you explain what pre-diabetes is? Sure. Just like the word pre, it's basically you're at the stage where you don't officially have blood sugars high enough to be diagnosed with diabetes, but it's a warning sign. It's a stage where we can identify someone who's showing a trend, a pattern, as if their blood sugars are going to keep creeping up mm -hmm. if we don't make changes. So it's a critical stage. If I can find someone with prediabetes in my office, I love helping them because we could potentially reverse that cycle. Mm -hmm. We could turn things around because lifestyle plays a huge role in your progression from prediabetes towards diabetes or back to normal blood sugars. Right. And I think, you know, a lot of people hear that pre-diabetes and they think, oh, well, I don't have diabetes, but it is mm -hmm. a disease state on its own. I mean, it is a place where there are specific diagnostic criteria and it is, a, it is considered a disease state. So it's important to have intervention right then. Otherwise, it's almost inevitable that you're going to develop diabetes. And so rather than just like seeing it as, oh, well, I don't really have to take this seriously. In fact, you should take it very seriously because this is sort of like, you know, going down a, a, a dead end road. You know, if you don't turn around, inevitably, you only have one place to go. Yeah, that's kind of what my doctor told me. She was like, okay, so this is, this <laughs> is what we've seen the last two years, and this is your third year of mm -hmm. increased fasting blood sugar. Mm -hmm. Let me tell you where you're about to go. Yeah. <laughs> if you don't change this, this is what's going to happen. So I want to see something different next year. Let's yeah. change this. Yeah. Um, she didn't recommend that I see a registered dietitian, which I feel like maybe she should have, but mm -hmm. because I work with registered dietitians, I knew that mm -hmm. I could find a resource to yeah. help me kind of figure out what is it that I'm doing wrong? What is it that I can change in a way that's not going to make me feel like everything's just been stripped away from me? You know? Yeah. So that's been helpful. Yeah. And Vandana, for your benefit, Dee has done an amazing job over the last couple of years of really taking charge of her health and her mm -hmm. life and has made all kinds of changes and, and not the least of which is really an increase in physical activity that I think is a part of preventing and managing diabetes that people don't often think about. But we know that the more physically active we are, the the more stable our blood sugars mm -hmm. tend to be, right? Mm -hmm. As you know, as far as prevention and, and management, would you agree with that? Yes. No, I, I am so happy that Dee embraced this challenge and doing well. It's not just about what we eat. It's about our stress levels, about physical activity and getting the support you need to take care of yourself because you can definitely control, manage or reverse the state. Yeah. Also, something that you said, Vandana, in the beginning, you said that you were a dancer and you recognized how um, what you ate affected your performance. Can you kind of tell us about that? Sure. So um, I am an Indian classical dancer. So it's a very structured style of dance. It's got a lot of footwork, a lot of spins. And growing up, I was raised vegetarian. My parents raised me on an Indian vegetarian diet. It was religious um, 
purposes. But as I grew up, I realized that I actually enjoyed it. It's even for health benefits. It's the way I want to live my life. Um, what my mom prepared and how I performed, there was definitely a correlation. On the days that I was out and about for different events with my group of performers, when we didn't eat what we had brought from home or when we didn't eat the way we were raised eating, we definitely were more tired. We were a little bit more out of shape, a little bit more sore compared to the days when we ate what we had at home. So I started noticing a connection for sure. Mm -hmm. And in terms of my mood, in terms of how rested I felt, and in terms of how light I felt, because when you have a nice variety of foods coming in in the right portions, your body is able to process it appropriately. You feel good. You don't feel bloated. You don't feel uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And you um, you talked about the um, the eating the foods that were brought from home. What would you have been eating instead? It would be similar to what I brought from home when I was traveling in India, but just because it was bought from a restaurant, it tended to be higher in fat, it mm -hmm. tended to be higher in sodium, just mm -hmm. like here. Yeah. So it was not the exact same as if my mom had made it, because my mom was always very health conscious, not to make food taste bad, but it tasted great, but you didn't need all that extra salt or extra oil that mm -hmm. went into cooking. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, you know, and what you said is, you know, a lot like here. I mean, I think that that's definitely, that's so true of, of eating um, here in the US. And I think it's something that people don't always realize, like, even if you're eating healthier food, if you're eating it out, as compared to eating it at home, it's still going to be higher in sodium, it's still going to be higher in calories and fat than if you make it at home, because they want it to taste amazing, right? <laughs> <laughs> right, they want you to come back. Yeah. Um, and I, I just, if there's one switch that I can recommend to my clients if they are someone who is out and about, who is not really making a lot of meals at home, even if they can get one or two meals prepared at home, that's a big shift in their mindset in how they feel. Mm -hmm. And then they get excited with just simple recipes that we discuss in the office. They get excited and they want to try it more. And before we know it, they're eating five times a week at home. Mm -hmm. And now they're just eating out once or twice. And there's nothing wrong with eating out. Of course, no. you should go out and enjoy food and enjoy different experiences. But prioritizing more homemade meals is definitely a positive step. Oh, you're speaking my language now. Like that's, I am <laughs> definitely, I am a home cook and I, I, um, I teach cooking classes and I definitely feel strongly about, um, cooking and the importance of making meals at home and they don't have to be complicated either. Right. That's the bottom line. People are often overwhelmed or just stressed about cooking because they think good food, is very time consuming or complicated. It really doesn't have to be. Mm -hmm. It can be as simple as think of the carbs. What's your whole grain? Think of your protein, whether it's animal based or beans or lentils. And what's your vibrant, colorful veggies? Mm -hmm. And right there, you got three groups in. And you can simplify it even more by buying frozen vegetables or buying canned beans or lentils and uh, make a big batch of brown rice or quinoa and use it in multiple ways. Mm -hmm. There are so many ways to simplify this process, but making food flavorful is the key. It can be simple, but flavorful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's been my um, biggest struggle is how do I make this um, 
I don't know, quinoa, kale, stir fry thing <laughs> taste like something I actually want to eat. I love good tasting food. And so it's been mm. a journey trying to to figure that out. Yeah, you know, I, I uh, strongly believe in herbs and spices as the flavor profile that we need to add more of. And as a country, I think we are growing in terms of all the choices we are getting. Our local grocery stores now carry so many spices and herbs. It's a matter of playing around with it, feeling confident in knowing what works in a dish. And once we get more adventurous and try those combinations, it's amazing. Just mm -hmm. adding a little extra, like, for example, with your garlic and quinoa, I would saute some garlic. And if you like ginger, throw in some ginger with your kale stir fry it and then add your quinoa and um, if you like some nuts or seeds throw that in for crunch so you're looking for crunch and for flavor because when you have different textures in your mouth when you have different colors on your plate it just is more visually appealing it tastes mm -hmm. better Mm -hmm. I love ginger and I'm totally going to do that. Thank you. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> and there's also some good research um, about the satiety effect of chewing, right? So we want yes. foods that, you know, if you think about the, uh, like a lot of fast food that we eat is very quickly eaten, right? You don't have to chew much. You don't have to do much. You just <laughs> put it in your mouth and it melts and it's, you know, and suddenly it's in your belly. It's, there's not a whole lot of thinking involved, but when we focus on a plant-based diet, that has more of those whole grains, nuts, seeds, vegetables, especially, but also fruits, you know, those foods take chewing, right? You can't just swallow them whole. We have to actually chew them and that takes time and that triggers things in our brain and in our stomach that, that lead to a feeling of satiety that we don't get when we're not eating foods that require chewing. Yes. And I always tell my clients, digestion starts in our mouth. Yeah. And so when you look at food, first thing, your salivary glands are actually releasing saliva. Mm -hmm. That's the first step. And if you chew and take your time chewing it and letting it go through, that means there's more fiber in that food as well. It's going to sit in your stomach a little longer. Your blood sugar is not going to be spiked up as quickly as something that doesn't have as much fiber or texture. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. What's funny is, so I recently, as, and by recent, I mean like in the last 30 days, decided <laughs> that um, my family would have two days where we would eat vegetarian. And so yeah. what I found was just this beautiful salad that I made that we would have for dinner. And I found that I got tired of chewing <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> before I actually felt full, you know, quote unquote full. And I pretty much stopped eating because I'm like, I'm, I'm done with this. <laughs> That's so funny. But it felt yeah. great. And, you know, when Vandana was talking about how much lighter, you know, yeah. you kind of feel, I did feel much lighter the following day uh -huh. when I had like that big salad with, you know, some beans and some other things as the protein instead of, you know, a piece of pork loin and a potato. So yeah. Yeah, it was good, but the chewing was a lot. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So the, I think this is a great place to talk a little bit about your latest project, Vandana. So can you? So Vandana is a, a new cookbook author. So congratulations yeah, on the book. <laughs> so can you, you tell us a little yes, bit about I'm the book? Super excited. So I just released my book. I released it in April at a conference. It's called My Indian Table quick and easy vegetarian recipes, and it is available on Amazon. 
And the way this book came about is, um, as you know, I was raised in India and cooking was something I just loved doing. And I've always been vegetarian. So I would always prepare food at home for parties or even when we went to someone's home, I always took a dish. And regardless of the variety of foods I would take, the one dish that was always the biggest hit was something that was Indian inspired. And my friends would always ask me for recipes. And they were the ones who always pushed me to write a book. So last year I took it on seriously. I said, okay, I'm going to write this book. And it took me a while to figure out how I wanted to present the book because I wanted total control. It was a passion project. I wanted to, it to reflect my culture, my heritage and make it simple. Because mm -hmm. again, with Indian food, there are two common misperceptions. One is that um, it can be very overwhelming in terms of the number of spices and ingredients you need. And two is that it can be very complicated. And so the purpose of this book was to really break that myth down to simplify the number of ingredients you need. I've described them and the ingredients are easily available in American stores. And second was to use shortcuts. So most of the recipes can be prepared in 30 minutes or less. Oh, I love that. that's really how I run my life because after a full day at the office, when I get home, I still want delicious food, but I don't want to spend hours in the kitchen. Mm -hmm. So that was the focus of this book. So I've broken it down into different sections. So there's basic recipes on how to make beans or lentils, how to sprout beans, how to make ghee, which is the clarified butter, how to uh, make yogurt at home. And then I have a section that's all focused on beans, a variety of beans made in a simple but flavorful way. I have some grains. So I have recipes to make homemade chapati, which is the flatbread mm. or um different versions of rice. So there's a lemon rice, a coconut rice, and a mixed vegetable rice. Um, I have some dips. And of course, I have desserts and beverages. Dessert. <laughs> <laughs> love dessert. Uh, I love that. I love, personally, I love Indian food. I love um, the spices and the flavor. I, I, I primarily eat plant-based, so mostly vegetarian food. And I, that's what I actually prefer. And I would be completely vegetarian if it wasn't for my husband. And I, I think that, um, I agree with you completely that the misperceptions around Indian food are that it's super complicated. It takes a long time. So I'm super excited to try some of these recipes and Absolutely. yeah, quick recipes. Have you used, or do you use in the book, um, like an instant pot or, uh, any sort of, um, any sort of tools like that to speed things along? Yeah. And so I was debating using an instant pot in the book, but I realized that not everyone still is on that. Sure. Using that tool. So I've left it as just, you can use the beans and lentils, however you choose, but start with the cooked form. So many of the recipes, in fact, I've used canned beans okay. to show that you can just rinse it two or three times, reduce the sodium and it's right there. It's ready to go. Um, but I personally use a pressure cooker. That's what I grew up using mm -hmm. in India. And I love my pressure cooker. It's just so easy to use for me. I yeah. do have an instant pot, but I haven't fully adapted to that yet. <laughs> That's my, maybe a future project. There you go. There, I think that the instant pots are super popular. I agree. Not everyone has one yet, but, um, but I do think there's a whole cult following. I have one now. It took me a long time to, to pull the trigger and finally get myself one, but I love it. It has been amazing. It is great for beans and for, mm -hmm. um, for grains, whole grains, especially that tend to take a little bit longer. It's a great shortcut shortcut. 
for me in my house and, you know, using those specific for those specific ingredients. Yeah, I use it with uh, beans and what's that? The steel cut oatmeal. I do my oatmeal for Mm -hmm. the week in that and it's just creamy and delicious. Yum. Love it. (laughs) So in the, in the book, Vandana, and you talked a little bit about um, spices and herbs and can Mm -hmm. you talk a little bit about maybe the health benefits of eating um, the way that the book describes? And and I know that there's been a lot of movement toward plant-based eating. And I think we're going to continue to see that going forward because people are very concerned about the environment, but also about their health. And research shows that eating a plant-based diet is more healthy for ourselves and also for the planet. So as we think about um, eating that way and you're thinking about your book and in traditional Indian foods and the spices, can you talk a little bit about the health benefits? Sure. So when we think about Indian food, I just wanted to add a little bit, just like the Mediterranean diet, there's nothing called the Indian diet because Mm. it's a huge country, very diverse in terms of the grains and spices used all across the country, but there are some commonalities. So what makes Indian food stand out in terms of health is the prevalence of whole grains, the prevalence of beans and lentils, the colorful fruits and vegetables, nuts and seeds. But really what distinguishes Indian food from any other cultural food is the the liberal use of spices and herbs. Mm -hmm. So um, some common spices used in Indian food are turmeric, Mm -hmm. which there's so much research on turmeric and the curcumin compound that's in turmeric as far as anti-inflammation, possibly um, help with Alzheimer's, possibly help with blood sugar control. So lots of interesting research with turmeric. Um, There's uh, cumin, coriander, red chili, um, garlic and ginger. There's again, research across the board for all these spices is ongoing. It's interesting. We don't have large term studies yet, but it is promising. And it's the culture. These foods have been used for thousands of years. And uh, we are now slowly starting to see the health benefits for using these spices. And if nothing else, when you use spices, it adds a lot of flavor without the added sodium. Mm-hmm. So you can gradually cut back on your salt intake by flavoring food up with these spices and herbs. Mm-hmm. That's a, I think that's a fantastic description. And I love that you mentioned specifically how diverse the Indian um, foods are from one part of the country to another part of the country. And I, I think that that's something that a lot of, you're right, a lot of people don't think about it. And I don't always think about it, even though I know it, I don't always think about the diversity. But if you think about the geography of the country, you know, you have everything from, of course, a huge huge coastline, right? So mm-hmm. lots of seafood in those areas, but you also have very landlocked areas of the country that are mountainous where the food's going to be very different. But mm-hmm. is it primarily vegetarian from one end to the other? Um, when I looked at data for my book, um, it's shifting because, mm-hmm. of course, like anything else, um, India is also a country that's getting more westernized. Mm-hmm. So we have a lot more of the fast food chains going there and It's a little sad when I visit and I see how the younger generation is eating, Mm -hmm. but um, it used to be about 60% of the country was vegetarian. Mm -hmm. And it always is usually because of religion, because the Hindu religion believes in nonviolence. So it's not harming anything before Uh you eat it. And so that's how I was raised. Uh Uh-huh. Got it. And so um, it, it, so you talk about the shift in the diet. Are you also seeing in India, I suspect the answer is yes, um, a shift in disease pattern as well. So more of the lifestyle diseases we see here in the United States? Yes, 
So I'm seeing um, fast-paced, high-stress jobs. I'm seeing people pick up food a lot more. It's usually refined or processed. Um, Not necessarily that refined or processed is harmful, but sometimes, depending on the volume and depending on the type, Mm -hmm. and um, just less time to spend at home preparing meals. So there's definitely, I'm seeing with the younger generation especially, uh, more of the lifestyle disease conditions too. So definitely seeing more cancers, more diabetes, more obesity, heart mm-hmm. disease. And genetically, Asian Indians are at a higher risk for diabetes and heart disease to begin with. And then you throw in these lifestyle factors, it just is amped up. Uh-huh. So interestingly, you mentioned ghee. And I want to ask you about the fat in Indian foods because, um, of, co- of course, there's you know, there's the Mediterranean diet, we think about extra virgin olive oil. But when I think of Indian mm-hmm. food, I think of ghee. And so it's a butter fat or a butter, of course, that's mm-hmm. been um, heated and then the solids have been removed. Um, but how how is that saturated fat um, is it changed because of the process of cooking of cooking it and removing the solids? Because I, I, I should know this, but I don't. It is somewhat changed, but more than anything, ghee itself. So basically, ghee is clarified butter. So you take a stick of butter, unsalted, you heat it on the stove or even in your instant pot, you could make ghee. And you would get it to a temperature where it's golden yellow, and then all the solids would settle down. You filter it, and you have this golden yellow liquid that's clarified butter, that's ghee. And ghee has actually been looked at um, as far as medicinal purposes and health benefits in Indian culture. As far as Ayurveda goes, it's considered to be very healthy for us. And so I personally, in my practice and even at home, I usually tell my clients, if you want to use ghee, you can, but it's not in addition to what you want to use, just as a replacement or Mix it up. Don't just use ghee for every single thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It adds a lot of flavor, right? It does. It has this nutty flavor. So just a little bit will go a long way. Right. So I usually have my clients prepare their food without any oil or fat and then do a little seasoning mix with that ghee and drizzle it on top so you can smell that. Oh, that's mm. an interesting approach. I like that. That's a, And so the, um, the, the um, clarification of the butter also increases its... Um, it's smoke point, right? So it makes it better for higher heat cooking. It okay. Does. And it adds a lot of flavor. And you could do, mm-hmm. I guess you could do, um, of course, extra virgin olive oil as your primary and then use um, ghee as an additional for flavor and um, and in some of those higher heat applications. Yeah, you could. And so with extra virgin olive oil, depending on the quality, that also has a strong smell yeah. and oh, taste. That's true. So I usually would use an oil that doesn't have a strong flavor profile if I'm going to add ghee on top so that you can taste the difference. Oh, that's a great point. That's a great point. It would be fun to do like a dipping, a dipping. <laughs> so Dee and I are going to have an experiment later. I'm just like <laughs> all of the oil. Give it to me. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have some ghee, on, ghee in one bowl and some extra virgin olive oil and take some bread and do some dipping. and do some You know tasting. what? I've never done uh, bread dipped in ghee. It's always been olive oil with like the little Italian seasoning yeah, in know. it, but... Yeah, I haven't done bread dipped in ghee either, except when I was traveling in some parts of India. Um, What I like ghee on is more my rice dishes or my vegetables. Mm. Just a little drizzle on top adds this aroma and fragrance. Like if you have a beautiful basmati rice with spices like cardamom and cinnamon and cumin Mm. seasoned in ghee and drizzled on top, it just tastes amazing. I love that. Cardamom is like my favorite spice. 
It's become mine. Yeah. I did I tell you about the oatmeal that I made with no. the cardamom and turmeric, golden raisins, and like some nuts for crunch. So good. That sounds amazing. I was looking, I was putting the cardamom in there. I was like, I don't, I don't know about this. It was delicious. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. It's such a great spice. So tell me, um, what is your favorite recipe in the book? I'm sorry, you broke up there, Sherry. Did oh. you say, what's my favorite breakfast? What's your favorite recipe in the book? A recipe in the book. Oh, it's like asking, which is my favorite baby? <laughs> <laughs> so it depends on what I'm in the mood for. So if it's a signature dish, I would say the one that um, really showcases the book, it would be my curried power bowl. This was a creation that came up um, one summer evening. I had come home from the office and Sherry, as you know, if you've seen my posts, we have a beautiful backyard and my husband and I love our wine, our happy mm-hmm. hour. So I come <laughs> in, he pops open a nice bottle of wine and I didn't want to be in the kitchen cooking. And so I grabbed a few different ingredients, went to our backyard and we have a stove in the backyard as well. So in one pot, I made this dish and that was my curry power bowl. So basically it's um, cauliflower, garbanzo beans, tomatoes, onions, spices like cumin. Um, I think I put some chili powder and some garam masala, which mm-hmm. is a mix of different spices, mm-hmm. turmeric. And then I serve that over a nice bed of arugula with a drizzle of some cucumber yogurt raita, which is like a cooling dish. Yum. Um, that sounds so good. I'm hungry. <laughs> <laughs> It was, uh, it was, it just came about spontaneously. I said, okay, that is going in my book. And so I think that one captures. And my husband is someone who loves easy one bowl meals. He just makes it all up, give it to him. And he loves that, the simplicity of it. So I love that. I love that. That sounds amazing. And I think that that is a great place to start to wrap up. And I would say that um, I can't wait to see your book. I'm going to order it today because I haven't ordered it for myself yet. I'm going to order it today. And I can't wait to see it. And you have been generous enough to agree to give one away to a listener. Yes, I would love to give one away. And if any of your listeners want to email me, I'm happy to also share an exclusive sneak peek with them. So they will get a couple recipes and a little bit of info on the book. Oh, I love that. And so how can people find you, Vandana? So they can find me on social media. So I'm on Instagram, Vandana Sheth. I'm on Twitter, VandanaShethRD, or they can go to my website, which is VandanaShet.com. But the easiest would be to just send me an email. My email address is nutritioneducator at gmail.com. Awesome. That's great. And so I would encourage everyone to connect with you, follow you, be inspired by you, and definitely get the book. Get the book. (laughs) Awesome. Thanks, you guys. Thank you so much for joining us. And I know it's really early there. So thank you for taking the time to get up early and join us and share with us your wisdom and experience. And I feel so encouraged and excited. And I'm going to definitely cook Indian food tonight. There's no question about that. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Sounds great. It was a wonderful chat and I so appreciate this opportunity. You have a wonderful weekend. Thank you. You too. So as we close the show today, we have one question that we ask at the end of every show and it is, what is the one thing you're going to do to be healthier today? 
So for me, um, I just got a, so I've been kind of quote unquote practicing yoga for like the past five years playing at it, you know, mm-hmm. um, but on the Peloton app, they have uh, lots of different types of yoga that you can do. Um, And they have restorative yoga, which I love. And so I got a bolster and a blanket in the mail from Amazon Uh yesterday. And so I'm going to do some more restorative yoga today. Cool. Good for you. Mm -hmm. I love restorative yoga. That's It feels like I'm like Uh, loving my body when I do it because I'm just kind of like laying there and I love it. I love it. I like the poses that sort of stretch my back because I tend, I usually have pretty good posture, but lately I find myself slouching a lot more. And so when I'm doing stretching kinds of relaxing, but stretching positions or poses that they really, I feel much longer. I don't know. Yeah. And that's kind of what the bolster does. Like I did a restorative yoga last night and I had the bolster under my back and it really kind of stretched my shoulders back Uh and opened up my chest. It was Uh, just amazing. Oh, that sounds great. Vandana, what about you? Well, it's a beautiful Southern California day, and I think I'm going to take our dog Shadow for a lovely walk and come back and make a delicious lunch. Mm, that sounds mm, great. Sounds great. I wish I could <laughs> eat lunch at your house today. <laughs> yes, you're welcome anytime. <laughs> Next time I'm there, I'm going to call you. <laughs> do that. I think for, for me, you know, my, so my son has been learning to swim and, um, he has been practicing jumping off the diving board, which is so exciting. And so I think today we're going to go swimming again. We've been swimming every day for the last three days. And I think we'll go swimming again today and then take advantage of the heat here and the, the wonderful, um, cooling water because it's like 8 billion degrees here and, you know, (laughs) humidity, 99% humidity. It's just ridiculous. Yeah. You walk outside and immediately sweat from head to toe. <laughs> well, awesome. Well, thank you again for joining us today, uh, Vandana, and also to our audience. Ladies, we just love you. We are so grateful that you take the time to join us each two weeks to listen to the show and hear about great stories and be encouraged in your health journey. And um, if you have any questions, if you have any suggestions, please don't hesitate to reach out to us. You can email me at dietitiansherry at gmail.com or you can email us at the show at southernfriedgirlfriends at gmail.com. And uh, of course, connect with us on social media and don't Don't forget to rate the show and share it with a friend that you think would love to hear more about health and nutrition. All right. Have a super day, ladies. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.